Often as a parent, we are telling our kids to keep going. Some of us with seniors that have senioritis this time of year, that's hard to do, right? I feel that even with two in middle school and one in elementary and one in preschool. Not that my preschooler is having a hard time sticking out the end of the school year, but the other three, it's, it's, hey, we got to keep going. We've got to keep going. The finish line's almost there, but we're not there yet. You've got to keep going. And a lot of times, as parents, we're telling our kids to do that, even with athletics and things like that. Keep, keep going. Stay in there. Keep fighting. Keep doing it. And, and that's how the Christian life is a lot of times. We, we are people who are to stay the course. We're, we're people who are to keep fighting. To, to, to not throw in the towel. And James has told us that. In fact, two weeks ago, that's what he said. He said, be a patient people. Be a people who endure, who stay the course faithfully. Even though times are tough, stick with it. And there are times in our Christian walk we're going to have battles and we're going to feel defeated. We're going to have those times where we maybe feel depressed, where we maybe feel down and out. Maybe we feel like, we are just overwhelmed with anxiety, the anxiety of life and, and the struggles of, of just everything going on, whether it's spiritually and sometimes even, even physically or both those together. And life can be hard and to hear the encouragement to keep going and to endure can even be sometimes hard to hear because we don't know how to do that. We don't know how to get through what, what we're getting through. Sometimes in seasons like that, we even get to a point where we start questioning God's goodness. And, and God, are, are you truly good that you're allowing me to go through this? And, and we might even battle with, with doubt. And all those things are real. And they're honest. And so what do we do? Well, I think real practically this morning, James gives us one simple answer, one word. And he simply says, pray. Pray. Now, those are one of those things where it's easier said to stand up here as a pastor and say that, but to do that, it's hard. To actualize what he's going to call us to do this morning is not necessarily something we easily just do, but he's going to call us to that. Because what we're going to find out this morning is that the key, the source of, of spiritual endurance is prayer. It is prayer. As we read from James today, we're going to find that prayer comforts us when we are spiritually suffering. Prayer lifts us up when we are down and out, when we are struggling and having a hard time. It raises us up. And we're going to find this morning it's vital, it's important to the community of believers. And not only that, it's powerful. As God through prayer, he, he loves to answer prayer, and he loves to pour out his spiritual blessings upon even struggling believers. He loves to do that. And so don't think for a minute that the Christian walk is easy, right? I don't think anybody in here who has lived as a Christian for a while is saying that today. The Christian walk is not an easy path. And so what do we do? Well, James says, pray. Pray. And so this morning, let's look at what James says to the church here. This is 
part of his farewell address as he is going to end his letter next week and, and we'll wrap up our series. But look what he says in verse 13. He's going to ask a series of questions and he says this. He says, is anyone among you suffering? Then he must pray. Is anyone cheerful? He is to sing praises. What does James do here? He kind of covers the spectrum, doesn't he, of, of people. And he says, first, those who are suffering. And then he says, those who are cheerful or happy. And now first, this group that is suffering. Who is James writing to? Do you remember who he is pinning this letter to? Uh, it's the church in Jerusalem. It's, it's believers who um, have a Jewish background. And they find themselves suffering. They, they find themselves experiencing persecution. You remember back in uh, the book of Acts. You remember when we journeyed through the book of Acts. And when we were in Acts chapter 7. You remember what happened to Stephen? Stephen, the apostle of Jesus Christ who, who was stoned to death. And then in chapter 8 it tells us that standing by the stoning of Stephen was Saul who would eventually become Paul. And what happened after that was Jewish believers started scattering. They, they would flee from Palestine to different places. And so what you have here are, are those of the dispersion, those who have scattered, as James tells us in chapter 1, as he is writing to that group, the church in Jerusalem, who has been persecuted, who has faced suffering and remember how he started this letter. He told them in verse 2 of chapter 1, he said, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter trials of different kinds. And then in chapter 5, he told us to look at the prophets of old and to remember them as an example of suffering, as an example of patience and how we are to endure through the likes. And so some of these believers, they're about to break. They're about to break under pressure. Because of the weight of afflictions, through the suffering that they are going through, some of them being mistreated by some maybe in the body, some being spoken against by some even in the body. If you remember in chapter 4, James says, hey, don't slander one another, quit, quit speaking against one another. Some of them are experiencing suffering at the hands of, of the rich that we saw just a couple of weeks ago. They're being mistreated, there's favoritism. And so he's telling them, hey, listen, hang in there. But they're about to break. They're about to throw in the towel. And so suffering and, and persecution should not be a surprise. It wasn't a surprise to these in the church that James was speaking to. We suffer under such because Christ did. And those who follow him will experience what he definitely followed. That's how the apostle Paul saw it. In fact, listen to Colossians 1.24. Paul said this. He says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. He's talking to the church. He says, In my flesh I do my share on behalf of Christ's body, which is the church, in filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. What is Paul saying here? Paul simply is saying, Listen, I see my suffering. I see my per persecution. What I'm going through as an opportunity to get to speak and share to you and show you through how I handle the suffering that which is lacking. There is nothing lacking in Christ's crucifixion, in his death, in his gift of salvation. There is no, nothing lacking. That's what Paul is saying. What Paul is saying, though, is what's lacking is that people don't know. People don't know about Christ. People don't know why Christ died. 
And so he says, hey, my sufferings become a story. My sufferings become a witness, a testimony to fill up what is lacking. What is lacking? Those who don't know Christ. And what God is going to do through suffering, Paul says, is he's going to allow me to show the gospel as I suffer through things, as I endure. And so as we endure through things, as we suffer through things, remember the purpose is that God's taken us through those times. That's why we shouldn't seek to avoid those things. We shouldn't ask God, 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 just remove this, remove this. Remember, God wants us to go through these. Why? Because he has a purpose, and that's to shine the light of the gospel so that people would know Christ. That's how Paul saw it. He says in Philippians 3.10, that I may know him and the power of Christ's resurrection. Not only that, that I may know the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death. Paul saw suffering as sharing with Christ's suffering, and that Christ was conforming us to more of the likeness as Christ as we would go through tough times. And so there are those in the church that James is speaking to that feel defeated, that feel weary, that feel exhausted and depressed. And he has told them to patiently endure, but they continue to struggle. It's real. And James says, pray, pray. Here, he's specifically talking to individuals. He's talking to people personally and saying, personally, take time to pray. Battle through what you're going through in prayer on your knees. Pray. He's going to talk about prayer today. It's the theme of what he's going to talk about. He's going to mention prayer eight times in the verses that we're going to look at. And he's going to encourage us to actualize this in our Life because it's truly how we endure. It's truly how we stay the course. For those that are suffering, what happens when we pray is we're tapping into something. We're tapping into the source of comfort, which is God himself. Peter tells us in 1 Peter 5, 7 that we are to cast all our anxiety, all of it, on Christ. Why? Because he cares for us. Jesus loves us. He wants the load. He wants the burdens. And we're to cast them upon him. He also tells us in 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 4, that we are to continually ask God for comfort. Listen to what he says. He says, Blessed be the God of our Father, Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our affliction so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God with. And so that you and I would would see God as our comfort, whatever we're battling through. And then there's a byproduct of that, that God would use us to be a source of comfort to others who also are suffering. And so there is triumph. There's victory in suffering. God is our comfort. He will get us through that to where we can even be a source of comfort to others. And so the second occasion for prayer here is what? One, he says, who is suffering. Then he says, those who are cheerful. And so it's those who are in the valley who are experiencing the down times and then those who are on the mountaintop who who are up here. But but I want you to understand that they're up here, but it doesn't mean the circumstances of life are easy for these. It's these who are content. Even though life is tough around them, even though circumstances aren't easy, they are resting in Christ 
They are happy in Christ. They are joyful in Christ. And he tells them, those who are joyful and cheerful sing praises. Now this word praises right here, as we look at the Psalms and as we look at other places where Paul even mentions it, and when he's talking about uh, prayer, and when he's talking about singing praises, uh, it's the same thing as praying. And that's how the writers saw it, that as you're praising, you are also praying. You are in communication with God. And so he's still talking about prayer here, but he's saying, hey, be thankful. Be filled with gratitude, those who are cheerful. And so the point that Paul or James wants to make, real simply, is that to endure, to continue on, and to not throw in the towel, no matter what turmoil or struggles are going on, even if there's doubt, James wants us to know this, that we're to wait on God in prayer. You think about prayer, what does that allow us to do? It allows us to slow down, to stop. Psalm 46.10, what does God say? Or God says, be still, right? And know that I am God. Stop striving. Stop doing it on your own. Slow down. Let your soul grow up. Catch a glimpse of God's purpose as we experience the tough times. That's what God wants to do to those who are suffering, even those who are cheerful. That we would pray. What we do a lot of times, if we're all honest, is when we get to the pit, when we get to the valley, that's when we start crying out. But sometimes when we're up here, we don't do that as much. James says, be a people of prayer. Those who are suffering, those who are cheerful. And then he says in verse 14, he says, is anyone among you sick? Are you sick? Then he tells them to do something. He said he must call for the elders of the church there to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick. And the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven. Now those who are called called sick here are called to act. And what are they to do? They're to, to seek prayer. They're to ask the elders of the church to come and to pray for them. Now many have debated over what sick refers to here. Is it just talking about the physical? Is it just talking about the spiritual? Is it, is it leaving room for both? Well, I think in the context here, if you go back up a little bit in chapter 5, we will find that in verse 10, he has told us to look at the examples uh, of the prophets, who were examples of what? Of, of patience through times of suffering. They were examples of endurance through times of suffering. Job was an example of endurance through times of suffering. So I think he's definitely talking about those who are spiritually struggling, those who are spiritually sick, those who are spiritually weak. In fact, in Paul's letter to the Corinthian church, his second one, he said in verse 12 and 10, chapter 12, 10, he says, Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am made strong. It seems that some in the church have lost the ability to endure. He continues that theme. They're weary, they're exhausted, they're struggling. Maybe they've lost motivation to stay faithful, to stay in the game. Maybe they have fallen even into sinful attitudes or sinful habits. 
It seems as though they've hit rock bottom, unable to maybe even effectively pray on their own. And what does James tell them to do? Call the elders. Reach out for help. They could also be physically sick. It could be those who, because of their illness, they're unable to attend worship that we experience together on Sunday morning as we gather Maybe they're unable to experience life group because of of an illness, of a sickness that they have. And so what does he tell them here? If you're in that that position, reach out to the church. Reach out to the elders. And he says there's help there. There's help when you reach out to them. And what do they do for those who find themselves in these situations? They call on them to draw strength. They call on them so that they can continue to endure. And so the first thing they're to do is simply call the elders. And what do the elders do in response? It says right here, then the elders will pray over that one. They'll anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. What's the emphasis again? The emphasis is prayer. Many times we look at this text and maybe we get thrown off a little bit with the anointing with oil, but the emphasis is praying. Now what does the anointing with oil mean? mean? What does it refer to? I think a couple of things could be at play here. I think, first of all, back in the first century, it would have been a very likely situation if one who was suffering and, and, and being called to endure, who calls on the elders, it could be one that, that maybe went through such persecution. Maybe they do have wounds. And so some believe that maybe the elders applied oil or, or something to take care of their wounds, to care for them, which would have been a very loving act on behalf of the elders. But as we also look at this, some believe it's symbolically an act uh, of applying oil to one's forehead. One who, uh, it's an act of showing and trusting that one believes in God to be the source of healing, recognizing that God is the one that brings encouragement, that brings strength, that brings refreshment to one's soul, whoever is sick, whoever is spiritually struggling. But prayer is the emphasis here. And the elders, as they come, they're to pray in faith, believing in the name of the Lord, literally in Jesus, trusting Jesus to be the one who restores, the one who saves Believing that Jesus can bring wholeness, can bring restoration, whether they're spiritually struggling or physically struggling. And so the prayer, through the prayers of the elders, what does God say that, or James say that God will do? He will raise them up. He will awaken them, the one being prayed for. And then he even says, at the end of verse 15, he tells them, and if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven him. Right here, it seems a situation where one is, is struggling spiritually, maybe with a sinful habit, and here they, they confess to the elders what is going on. One maybe who is, is batting, battling something physical, and it's a consequence maybe of sin. Now, not all physical sickness is a consequence of sin. It's not what James is saying here. But what he's saying is, is there sometimes is consequence from sin that is physical. And so what is he telling them to do here? Those who have committed sins, they will be forgiven. There's an act of confession that is definitely going on here. David tells us in Psalm 32, 5, he says, I acknowledge my sin to you, God. My iniquity I did not hide. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And what did the Lord do? You forgave the guilt of my sin. And that's what James says here. 
forgiveness will be granted, is yours. And God brings restoration. He brings healing. And forgiveness is granted. Why? Because of what Christ has done, what Jesus has done for us. As Paul says in Ephesians 1, 7, that in Jesus we have what? We have redemption. We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us. And so this is a picture of healing. This is a picture of, of restoration, of, of one who is struggling and comes and is prayed for, one who comes vulnerably, honest, to a safe place and is ministered to and receives restoration to their soul. Not only that, look at verse 16, he continues. And he's told us already to personally be people of prayer, especially when we're going through times of suffering, even those who are cheerful. He's told us to call on the elders when we've lost all hope and we need help. And he says, call on the elders. Come and be, let them be a source of prayer, a source of help for you as they pray in faith. But not only that, he tells us now, next, to pray as a church to pray as a church, to pray for one another. Look what he says at the beginning of verse 16. He says, therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. This is a picture of maybe a corporate prayer gathering that James has in mind here, maybe a, a small group gathering, or maybe some reaching out to a friend or a, a couple of friends and seeking prayer from someone else and seeking to go and to confess Sin, a struggle that one is having. I love this picture here. I mean, because this is a picture of community that James has in mind here. It looks like in, in James that the, the community's been struggling a little bit, even at each other at times. And here he gives a beautiful picture instead of what the church is to be like. They're to be vulnerable, honest with each other, to be people of prayer. You see, we're the one another community. That's who the, the church is. People that, that don't have it all together. I think sometimes we think that's what we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be people that do have it all together. But that's not what we're supposed to be. That's not it. We're, we're a people that believe in grace. And what that means is we're a people that believe we don't have it all together. That we need help. I love what Todd Wagner says at Watermark Church. I've heard this a few times from him over the last couple of years if we, as we have sat with him, as we've sat as the leadership conference that the Watermark Church puts on. And I love what he says. He, he says this. He says, the church is not running a circus. And he says, too often that's, that's what it seems like. A place where you come and get entertained and you receive stuff as you sit and experience, and it's, it's like a circus. It's a show. He says, the church is not that. But I love what he says. He says, instead, the church is a clown school. It's a clown school. How many of you guys like to hear that? Some of you guys are scared of clowns. I saw your faces. Oh, my. <laughs> So think about that. I mean, I'd love it next week. We all just came big shoes on. Okay, I'm a clown school. I mean, but if you think about it, I mean, we trip up a lot, right? Trip up. Clowns can be scary. We can be scary sometimes. 
But you think about that, it, that's, that's a great way to think about the church or a clown school. People that mess up, people that don't have it all together, trying to learn to follow Jesus, messing up as we do. And James says, hey, listen, that's what the community of God is. It's, it's people that are dependent on grace. They're dependent on Christ. They're dependent on mercy. They're dependent on God's compassion that while we were yet sinners, the greatest of clowns, God died for us. And that's who we are. And it's to be a community that, that, that gets that and is willing to do life together even when it gets messy, willing to, to be vulnerable, to be honest, and to call up maybe another lady calling up a girlfriend and said, hey, listen, I need to grab some coffee, just share with you what's going on, and I need somebody to just hear and, and to pray with me. And it's a, a gentleman that needs to pray, call up another guy and says, listen, hey, listen, can, can we grab coffee together and just talk about this? pray together. Maybe it's sharing with your life group and, and just letting them know, hey, hey, here's what's going on. Confessing and, and having them pray for you. There are times when we'll be battling where we need a safe place. We need a loving group of people. That's what the church is to be. I love what Martin Luther says. Isabel shared this at prayer gathering the other night. He said, the Christian way essentially consists in acknowledging ourselves to be sinners and in praying for grace. That's what the Christian life, I love what it says. It basically sums it up. Acknowledging ourselves to be sinners and praying for grace. A beautiful picture of this, this, this healing. You remember what he says at the end? He says, confess and, and pray for one another. Why? So that you may be healed. And so think about this healing and, and think of it this way. The writer of Hebrews puts it this way in verse uh, 12 and 13 of chapter 12. He says, therefore, strengthen the hands that are weak and the knees that are feeble and make straight paths for your feet so the limb which is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. And I think when we're honest and vulnerable and, and we confess to the Lord, we confess even to one another, what God wants to do is he wants to take these weak things, these feeble things, these things aren't straight, people that are clowns that aren't figuring it out, right? And that's who we are. The limbs, which are lame, he doesn't want them to get all out of joint. But instead, what does he want to do? He wants to heal us. And that's what he does. That's what God does to those who are vulnerable and open and honest before him and confess and are praying. He wants to bring healing. And then Lastly, look what he says here. He says, the effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. I'll be honest with you. I, I remember back when I was, oh, golly, sometime in the 90s, right? Uh, 1998, I think it was. I, I just graduated from uh, Dallas Baptist University. And I, I'll never forget, I was, I was called on to preach one night at First Baptist Carrollton, and I was going to preach on prayer. And I thought, man, I am totally inadequate to do this. And I looked at, at James, and I looked at this verse here, and I thought, wow, this, this seems like a tough verse for me. Because it says, the effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. And I was just like, man, who is that righteous man? Um, and who is that? 
And I think obviously he's talking to believers, right? First of all. But who is a righteous man? It's one who's, who's simply seeking after God. One who's, who's committing their life to doing God's will. And he says right here, the, the prayers of such a one is very strong. Calling down God's power to restore the weak and, and the struggling believer. But what does that look like? Who, what is an example? And that's what James does here. And I love this because he gives an example and he says, listen, hey church, your prayers can be powerful for one another. They can do amazing things. God can do the impossible through your prayers. And so he's just speaking hope into them. And then he says, hey, through that righteous one who prays, God can do amazing stuff. So who is this righteous man and what do these prayers look like and what, God, what can God do? And so look at this as we just wrap up. I think this is a great way to just put a bow on it. Look what he says in verse 17 and 18. He says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And so here's what he's going to do. Is he's going to give an example. He's going to say, hey, here is this righteous man. Here's what he looks like. But understand, he's just like you and I. He's just like me. He's just like you. And so Elijah, the prophet of old, and he says here that he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the earth for three years and six months. Then he prayed again. And what happened? The sky poured rain and the earth produced its fruit. And so I love this. Here's prophet Elijah. We've heard about um, Rahab in James. We've heard about Abraham. We've heard about Job. And so here he now is, he turns to Elijah. And these were Jews who, who knew these guys very well. They were well read on the prophets. And you hear a lot about Elijah in 1 Kings 1, the beginning of 2 uh, Kings, but especially this morning, I want us to, to think on 1 Kings 17, 18, and, and 19. And what happens there is we learn that Elijah was one who got hungry on one occasion, as he is with the widow and her son. And so he's just like you and I. He goes through things just like you and I. He was afraid on one occasion, probably not just one, many but he, he, he fled Ahab and Jezebel. And then one of my favorite pictures is, is here's Elijah, and he's just experienced just this amazing experience as he defeated the prophets of Baal. God did an amazing work, this, this amazing scene. And then he gets afraid, and he runs, and he, and he runs to the mountain. And you see this guy who is struggling, who is struggling. I think, he says, I, I feel all alone. He feels defeated. He, he depressed. I mean, you can just bottle all this up and you get this picture. But what did Elijah do? He cried out to God. In his loneliness, in his depression, in his anxiety, in his fearfulness, in his greatest struggle, when he wanted to die, what did he do? He cried out to God. He was a man, an example of praying and believing in God. And God answered his prayers. As James says right here, God answered his prayers with a drought. God answered his prayers by, by pouring out rain on the earth and producing fruit. And I think what James is, is trying to tell us as the church is, listen, pray. Pray believing and asking and expecting God to do this to do something, to take dry land and to pour out his blessing and to drench 
souls that are struggling, parched souls, souls that are hungry to, to come and to feed them and to restore them, to heal them, to save them. Expect God to do that. Believe that God could do that. And so whether you're the individual who's praying, who's suffering, and a cheerful, pray that way, believing that. Whether you're the elder who's praying over one who has called on you. And so whether you're the one calling on the elders, believing and wanting and praying that God can change whatever you're going through. And it doesn't necessarily mean he'll remove it. But what it does mean is he'll give you the strength to endure and he will be your comforter through it. And to the church, and the small groups, and the individuals that are praying for one another, that we would pray like Elijah did, believing that God can bring change, can bring strength, can bring restoration, can bring healing, and that he can do impossible things. And so let us be a praying church. Let us actualize what James has called us to this morning. Let me pray for us.